Hey, you're listening to the Coochie Business Podcast, where we talk about coochies in general and black coochies in particular. I'm Dr. Abigail, your coochie curator, and I'm here to bring you dope topics, interesting stories, and curious conversations that'll make you laugh, scratch your head, maybe shed a tear, but always give you something to think about. On today's show, we enter the halls and walls of Coochie University. We go into the secret world of Coochies and we take a look around. We ask and we answer some questions like, what's all in a Coochie anyway? What is the difference between a Coochie owner and a non-Coochie owner? By the end of an episode or a semester, you just might be qualified for a degree in Coochie too. So, Coochie University, Module 1, the Coochie Owner Operating Manual. Section one, which is today's episode, Tools of the Trade, the Anatomy. We're going to start off by focus on the anatomy. The anatomy of the average coochie owner, that is. Because when we know this, we can be on the same page, or at least in the same chapter, or the same book, goddammit, as we talk about other things in the future, right? So, a few notes as we get started here. Number one, this module is particularly intended and beneficial for the coochie owner, sure. But make no mistake, it is also beneficial and useful for coochie lovers in general, especially those non-coochie owner coochie lovers. And coochie advocates benefit from being familiar with this information too. So stay tuned in and you will see what I mean. Two, for the sake of consistency and clarity... I'm going to be using some anatomical terminology for all these parts of a coochie. It's going to sound like a lot of big words and things that you may or may not be familiar with. Don't worry, that's not the point. The point here is for general understanding. And it's also connected to the next point, number three. You may have noticed this is radio. I mean, well, audio. There's no video here. Again, not to worry. You have a few options here to maximize the benefits of the things we're going to be talking about today. Because visualization is very helpful. So, you can visualize and draw upon personal past experience you may have. You can draw upon a textbook or encyclopedia for an illustration. You can draw upon the internet for an illustration. You can draw upon a real life coochie. If you're a coochie owner, get yourself a mirror and follow along. Follow along and follow along with your own coochie. If you're not, even if you are, you can also just get consent from another coochie owner. And y'all can both learn some things, right? Or some combination of all these things that I just said. Or some other, you know, maybe interesting creative thing that you can come up with. Number four. Always remember, and I will remind you... There is considerable variation in the size and shape of the average coochie and her parts. I know I said coochie. Coochie, 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 and all her parts. There is variation between and within a coochie. I'm going to share some fun facts along the way. This is the last thing you need to know. But you might have some fun facts. You might have some stories. You might have some questions. Send them over. Go to the website, coochiebusiness.com. I might share them on air. You can also follow the links on coochiebusiness.com when you go on the website or you can submit your questions directly 
or your stories directly to questions or stories at coochiebusiness.com. Questions at coochiebusiness.com, stories at coochiebusiness.com, and no, coochie is spelled C-O-O-C-H-I-E. And let's get into it. The anatomy of a coochie. A coochie operative manual. What's all in a coochie anyway? First off, a lot of people just really haven't taken a look, a good look at a coochie. Even if you've seen a coochie before, have you really, really seen her, looked at her? Especially coochie owners looking at their own coochies, which I find particularly interesting, especially given the nature of how many penis owners look at their own penises. But anyway, for the purposes of this podcast, coochie has always just been a catch-all term for everything that makes up the female reproductive system. But there's a lot of parts to the female reproductive system, you know? So we got to know which part in particular we're talking about. In order to do that, you got to have a general understanding of what's all up underneath the hood. So we're going to do that. And what's the difference between a coochie owner and a non-coochie owner? (laughs) A lot of things, wouldn't you agree? Embryologically speaking, if you were to look at the human embryo at two months, eight weeks, it would be impossible, actually, to, to determine the sex of that developing human being. During the first eight weeks of gestation, that's pregnancy, the embryologic thing is the human development at the early stages right after fertility and conception. If you're to look then, all embryos appear to be female. And around seven weeks, if an embryo has two X chromosomes, two female chromosomes, it continues to develop as a female. If, however, it has one X and one Y, it starts to produce testosterone, which stimulates the growth of these early male features. So... I guess, right? So much for those Eve out of Adam myths. The whole rib of Adam made Eve. It's more like Adam out of Eve. (laughs) Moving on, physically, anatomically. The central difference between the two, coochie owners and non-coochie owners, that is, is the uterus, the womb. However, you... Really, you typically don't see the uterus on a person just walking around, at least, I mean, at all, without some surgical assistance. So in this lesson, we're going to really talk about the most obvious differences first. That's the external genitalia. And then we're going to talk about the internal things, just like, you know, the things, the most obvious things that you can see is how you can make some assessments. Again, Coochie could be referring to any combination of the parts we're about to discuss. So it's important to know all of these in general in case you find yourself in a situation where you need to be specific about what the fuck you talking about. This is a major part of breaking the coochie silence. Just knowing some things about a coochie. Again, my question, why is it that so many coochie owners haven't seen their own coochies? Even some straight up card carrying, hardcore ass, OG ass, penis rejecting ass, lesbians haven't seen their own coochies. Don't talk about this. 
What's up with that? Even the medical word for the external genitals of a coochie is loaded in a negative way, that is. It's called the pudendum. And that derives from a Latin word, pudere, which means to be ashamed of. Um, hello, coochies are not to be ashamed of. Coochies are not to be disgusted by. All of that comes from a place. Feel me? And if you go back to our first and second episode on coochie business, where we talk about the reproductive justice framework, and we talk about the history of women and black women, title being when God was a black woman and why she isn't now, you get a little bit more hip to the political, religious, psychological, patriarchal underpinnings of where some of this shit comes from. And what I have to say to that, join the coochie liberation. Let's get free of that bullshit. So, starting with lesson one of module one, a coochie owner operating manual. And this is for everybody, in particular the coochie owner, but we can all learn from learning about a coochie. Join me as we dive deep into the coochie anatomy. So let's start with the external components of a coochie. Throw out some terms, explain what it is, and just keep it moving. That's how we're going to do this here. Got some questions? Send them to questions at coochiebusiness.com. You got some stories, some interesting little fun facts that you want to add in there? Send them to questions or stories at coochiebusiness.com. The vulva. This is the anatomical name for the entire outside part of the coochie. It's made of a, of a lot of structures that surround the entrance to the vagina, and each of them have their own unique function, like the labia majora. These are the major lips, the large lips, the outside lips. There are these two folds of skin on the outside part. They contain the sweat glands, hair follicles, all embedded in fat. Embryologically, this is equivalent to the scrotal sac. Mm-hmm. Size and shape varies considerably between coochies and within an individual coochie in her in their lifetime. For instance, there's less fat in infancy and in older age, so the larger lips are actually smaller. It's filled with fat during the reproductive years, which is between puberty and menopause. It changes within the month because of hormones. It changes during arousal for the same reason, hormones. And if you take a full frontal view, like looking between the legs at the labia majora, they join together in a, in a pad, in a pad of fat that surrounds the pelvic bone right there in the, in the middle. Fun fact, ancient anatomists called this little pad of fat the Mount of Venus, Mons Veneri. The Mount of Venus. Don't you like that? <laughs> Mount of Venus. <laughs> hey, boo. All right, let's talk about the hair on the labia majora. Together, the labia majora and the Mount of Venus are covered in hair. Again, amount varies between and within coochies. 
the inner surface of the labia majora of these lips don't have any air. And they're separated by a small groove from the labia minora. Fun fact, the abdominal side of the pubic hair varies in coochie owners versus non-coochie owners. In coochie owners, it tends to just be a straight line versus the inverted V that reaches the belly button, the umbilicus of the non-coochie owner. It used to be believed that the labia majora was large because of masturbation. We now know that that's actually nonsense. All right, the labia minora, the minor lips, the small lips, the inside lips, the inner outer lips. There are these two folds of skin at the inner outside part. Remember, it's still the external genitalia. They're delicate folds. They contain a little bit of fatty tissue. And their purpose is to guard the entrance to the vagina. In front, or at the top, the labia minora splits into two little folds. Two littler folds. One that passes over and the other passes under the clitoris. At the back or at the bottom, they join together to form what's called the forchette. And sometimes this little area tears along with the perineum during childbirth. Again, the size and shape varies between and within coochies of the labia minora. Moving on, the forchette. The forchette, as I just mentioned, is the place where the two labia minora, where the two little lips join at the back bottom down there down there down there the clitoris this precious gem is the exact equivalent to the penis there are external and internal components to the clitoris so i'm going to talk about the external part right here and in fact just decided in this very moment to dedicate an entire lesson to the clitoris alone. So I'm going to talk about the external part here. We'll talk about the internal part when I get to the internal organs. But we're going to talk about the clitoris as a whole unto herself in an episode all together. Remember that little, well, let's see. The fold of the labia minora that passes over it is equivalent to the foreskin purpose of the penis that little fold of the labor minor we talked about a hit that we talked about just above uh, that's what makes up the the hood and it covers the sensitive end of the clitoris which is the glands fun fact some sexologists believe that what they call an adherent hood is stuck. It, 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 it's stuck together. It's adhered. Adherent hood reduces a coochie's ability to achieve full pleasure. And so they've created different types of operations to free the clitoris. A sort of circumcision of the clitoris, if you will. Now, here's the thing. It's mostly a psychological thing and generally is considered and advised to be avoided. So that fold of skin that passes under the clitoris is equivalent to the small band of tissue that joins the the, the glands of the penis to the skin that covers it, and it's called the frenulum, 
we have frenulum, frenulae, frenulae <laughs> in different parts of our body, like in our lips, that little, if you pull your lip out, you feel that little flap right there. That's a frenulum. So there's a little something like that, that that's underneath the clitoris. The clitoris is more than just the tip. And it's made up of tissue that fills with blood during sexual arousal, sexual uh, excitement. That's, you know, horniness. The end itself, the tip, is often very sensitive to touch. But then the shaft, which people tend to not really know about or ignore, is also very sensitive and also produces sexual arousal when stimulated. Like the shaft of a penis versus the tip or the glands of the penis. They both produce excitement when stimulated in different ways. Once again, size varies between and within coochies. So the frenulum, as I said, that's the fold of skin that passes under the clitoris. You've got the vestibule. This is the entrance, the major entrance, if you will. It's a cleft area, a section, the entrance of entrances <laughs> or exits. <laughs> so let's describe this for the radio audio. From top to bottom, it spans from below the clitoris to the foreshet. Remember, the foreshet is that place where the two little lips come together. And from side to side, it lies between the two labia minora. Is that the labia minoras, the minore, <laughs> the minora? I told myself I was going to look this up. Anyway, within this vestibule, this area, you'll find a few openings. You've got the urethral opening, the vaginal opening, the hymen if it's present. But we'll talk about all of those individually. So the external urethral orifice. An orifice is just an opening. It's not the urethra itself. It's the urethral opening. This is just below the clitoris. And it's the external opening for that part of the urinary tract, the urethra, that connects the bladder to the outside world. Then you have the vaginal orifice. And this is the opening to the vagina. <laughs> More on the vagina when we get to the internal organs. You've got the hymen, and this is below the external urethral orifice. <laughs> Say that three times fast. The hymen surrounds the vaginal orifice. It's a thin, incomplete fold of membrane. It can have one or more apertures. These are little openings within that membrane. Again, what do we say? Varies considerably in size and shape, and in this case, in elasticity. It's generally stretched or torn during the first attempt at sexual or non-sexual penetration. And fun fact, uh, the, an intact hymen is not a reliable sign of virginity. Sometimes intercourse fails to cause a tear, remember, Remember how we said that it's variable in elasticity, variable in size and shape? Well, there is also variability in the size and shape of the penis that is also a contributing factor here. Blink, blink. Other times, it's not intercourse that fails, but the hymen may have been previously torn 
by exploring fingers or objects, coochie owners or not, sexual or not. Another fun fact, there's an anatomical name for the tags that may remain from the hymen if some people have tags remain and it's called the cor- corniculae martiforms corunculae martiforms all right anyway moving on erectile tissue now this doesn't really have a name it's not really a part with a name but it has an important function so it gets a shout out erectile tissue hey it's just outside of the hymen still within the vegetable Deep beneath the skin, you got these two collections of erectile tissue that fill with blood during sexual arousal. And you know, sexual arousal of a coochie is a very important thing. So again, shout out to the bunches of erectile tissues all up in the vestibules. Next, we're going to go to the Bartholin's glands. These are two little glands that are deep in the backwards parts of the vestibule. They're like pea-sized, whatever that means. They also secrete a fluid during sexual arousal, and they help to moisten the entrance to the vagina. And this is really helpful when, you know, the objective is to have body parts or objects enter more readily and with less discomfort into the vagina. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can occasionally become infected, so you might be familiar with the Bartholin's glands because they're checked during the annual gynecological exam where these well lots of things are checked and that's separate from the pap screen sidebar hold on who the fuck are these people who is bartholin who is papa nicolau and all these other mofos why they keep putting their names on all our coochie parts what the fuck is up with that but anyway i digress last but not least in the external organs the external parts of a coochie we're going to talk about the perineum the perineum is part of that external, uh, that part of the vulva. What you see is the, the bottom, the back part, is a pyramid-shaped area between the vulva and the posterior fourchette and the anus. And all the muscles that lie underneath the skin there. It forms a wedge of tissue separating the vagina from the rectum. And this area, the perineum, plays a considerable role in childbirth. And that's all you need to know for now. Moving on to the internal components of a coochie. Starting with the clitoris again. Hey, boo. Hey, boo. Here she goes again. And like we said, there are visible parts of the clitoris. There are hidden parts of the clitoris. And I promised an entire lesson dedicated solely to my boo, the clit. So consider this to be a brief introductory version Um, And if you were to just remove the top layer of skin and the visible structures of the clitoris, you would see a number of hidden things. There's a a woman, Mary Jane Scherfey. She refers to the clitoris and this all of these structures as the powerhouse of orgasm. Mm -hmm. The powerhouse of orgasm. Important. These structures include erectile tissues, glands, muscles, blood vessels, nerves. And within this network of structures is where you'll find the G-spot. But remember, we got a few other spots. We're going to talk about that later. There's anatomy. We keep it focused. The clitoris is rarely shown. The clitoris in her full form 
is rarely shown, labeled, or explained in anatomy texts, physiology texts. So we're going to get all the way into it in that other episode. Moving along, the vagina, a remarkable organ. This is a muscular tube. It stretches upwards and backwards from that vestibule to the uterus. It also has a very well-developed network of veins that become distended during sexual arousal. It's located between the bladder in the front and the rectum on the back. And on either side, it's surrounded by strong muscles of the pelvic floor. Normally, the walls of the vagina lie close together. It's not open. It's just, just touching each other. This means that the vagina is a potential cavity and that it gets distended or opened by intravaginal objects or body parts like, you know, a tampon, a finger, an ultrasound wand, a penis, the head and body of a human child, and so on and so forth. If you understand what I'm saying, the vagina is closed but can open to fit whatever comes within it or goes out of it. Just like many of the external components of the coochie, the vagina, the vagina itself also, again, what do we say, varies in shape and size. Say it with me, between and within coochies. At the upper end, the top of the vagina, the cervix, which is the part of the neck of the uterus, kind of sticks into the vagina, just protrudes in there. Again, the vagina is a remarkable organ. It's capable of great distinction. It, 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 it can expand to, take, to, 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 fit, to, to push out a, a baby, right? To fit a baby and push it out, and it's actually still working. It's a self-cleaning organ. You've got these cells that form the walls of the vagina. They're 30 cells deep, lying on each other like, like bricks formation of a wall 30 layers deep during the reproductive years the top layer sheds into the vagina and 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 that and the normal bacteria that lives in the vagina acts on those cells and it produces lactic acid and lactic acid then kills any contaminating germs that happen to come up in the vagina it's like this whole thing it's a whole process it just keeps things in check fun fact because of this self-cleaning mechanism, some douches, some vaginal douches and floral sprays and all that stuff is actually quite unnecessary and actually quite can be detrimental to the vagina, you know, because it takes away the natural bacteria, the natural flora that you need there producing that lactic acid. Less active, uh, less production of this lactic acid um, outside of the reproductive years, like during puberty, before puberty rather, and after menopause, is when certain conditions and when certain conditions can cause less actic, lactic acid production. Anyway, moving on. Uterus. An even more remarkable organ. First of all, not all uteri. I need to understand the plural of these terms uteri uteri uteruses Mm -mm, it ain't uteri anyway not all i'm gonna go with uteri not all uteri 
get pregnant or carry babies. They don't want to. They can't. All them things. But if it does, because of the complex muscle structure and the remarkable response of the female sex hormones to it, man, it can go from the average size of something like about like nine centimeters, nine by five maybe, weighing about 60 grams. That's like two ounces. So for the U.S., that's like three and a half inches, three by two and about two ounces. It can go for something that size to an average average so it can go bigger than this pregnant state of weighing about a thousand grams that's two and a half pounds almost and able to contain a human child measuring 40 centimeters we said nine by five it can push out a 17 inch hold a 17 inch that's one baby what about these twins and triplets and quintuplets and stuff Mm. Anyway, the uterus is a hollow, muscular organ located in the middle of the pelvic bone between the bladder and the front and the bowel and the rectum behind. It, too, is lined with some special tissues. It has glands made up of cells, and this is called the endometrium. This is a really special tissue inside of the uterus. Uh, The uterus itself is divided into an upper part, it's called the body, and a lower part, that's the cervix uteri, which means the neck of the womb. And that inner hollow cavity of the uterus is narrow in the cervix, and that's called the cervical canal. It's widest inside of the body of the uterus, and then that hollow part continues on and extends into the horn, the cornu, where the cavity contains, or continues rather, into the fallopian tubes, one on each side. So that's a lot of words, but if you were to visualize for radio, when you put your, hold, you just put your arms out, your arms and your fingers pointing down, and your torso. So from your shoulders to your arms, down to your pelvis. So your whole chest to your pelvis would be the body, your arms, would be the fallopian tubes and your fingers would be the little fimbriae, which we didn't really talk about yet, but we're coming to. And then the point down by your pelvis going down in that triangle would be the neck of the uterus or the cervix going down. All right, so the cervix. Remember, the uterus has two parts. You got that upper part, the body, and the lower part, the neck. The cervix is that lower part, the neck of the womb, And it projects into that upper part of the vagina in a particular place where sometimes cancer can develop. And cervical cancer and the reason behind the pap smear screening. But we'll talk more about paps in a different episode too. The upper and the lower parts of the cervix, sorry, yeah, of the cervix, are supported by a bunch of special tissue that stretch to the muscles of the pelvic wall and in a, in a, in a fan-like manner. They just hold everything in place. And these, these ligaments, these tissues can be stretched during childbirth. There's different kind of other things and cause what we call prolapse. Prolapse is, is the falling down or slipping out of place of an organ or a part of the body. 
So yeah, that's what it sounds like. The stretching happens and then the cervix, which is just the part of the uterus, then falls down and slips out. What was it protruding? The vagina. It slips out of the vagina. That's not really a fun thing. So we'll talk about how to make sure, how to prevent and things like that and how to deal with it if this, if this happens. Fun fact, normally the uterus lies bent forward at an angle about 90 degrees to the vagina and it rests on top of the bladder. And as the bladder fills, it rotates backwards and as the bladder empties, it falls back forwards. In a small, in a certain percentage of people, the uterus lies bent backwards and that's called a retroverted uterus. And in the past, a retroverted uterus was considered to be a serious condition, like a cause, the cause of backaches, sterility, and other complaints were attributed to it, and there were many operations for its cure. But however, we know today that it's, unless the retroversion is due to an infection or a condition like endometriosis or something, it's pretty unimportant and not the cause of the symptoms that used to be attributed to it. Surgery is not needed, and the coochie owner can be assured, reassured, that the position of their uterus is normal for them. Moving on, oviducts. And I prefer oviduct, as weird as that word sounds, to fallopian tubes. Again, who is fallopian? Fallopio? Fallopian? Who is that person? Let's just call it tubes. Anyway, you got these two small hollow tubes, one on each side of the body of the uterus. Each stretches out for a certain amount of time, 10 centimeters, 4 inches, whatever, textbook stuff. From the upper part of the uterus, and they lie in close contact with the ovary on each side. The outer end of each tube, oviduct, is divided into these finger-like pro- projections, these fimbriae, and it's thought to sweep up the egg I like this this that this idea that the fingers sweep up the egg from the ovary when it's released and then these other things inside of the 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 tube so the tube itself is lined with these cells these these goblet shaped cells that lie between the cells of the fallopian tube and they have these frond-like borders. Listen, I had to look up what, what, what is a frond. A frond is like a large leaf, like a palm leaf or a fern. And usually has a lot of different divisions. So like a broom, right? And it's important because it's within the, the, the fallopian tube, the oviduct, that fertilization of the egg, generally speaking, takes place. It happens here. And it's likely that the secretions from these goblet-shaped cells is what helps to nourish the fertilized eggs while it's being moved through the fallopian tube into the uterus by these long fronds. How awesome is that? Anyway, ovaries. These are the gonads. These are small almond-shaped-like organs on either side of the uterus. This is equivalent to the testes, the balls. This, they're squishier than balls, though. They're small. They float in the lower abdominal cavity. They're attached themselves by ligaments to the side of the uterus and pelvic wall. In infancy, they're really, really small and delicate, thin structures. And after puberty, they, they, they enlarge to the adult size that it'll be about, you know, 
three by two centimeters, like an inch by less than an inch, an inch and a half by less than an inch. After menopause, these, the ovaries become small and wrinkled. And in old age, they're about half their adult size, like really small. Each ovary is made up of connective tissue, which we call the stroma, and some vessels. There's a small center made up of small cells and a mesh of vessels. And surrounding this is the cortex, and that's the ovary proper. And it contains like 200,000 eggs lying in a cellular bed in that stroma. And dotted through the stroma are tiny fluid-filled sacs called follicles. Each follicle is made up of hormone-producing cells that cradle each single egg. And then another layer outside of that is, is protecting all of the egg cells is the ovarian stroma and a thickened layer of tissue. So you got a tissue, you got a center of cells and vessels, you got this cortex of all the eggs in these individual follicles, and then you've got a layer of thickened tissue protecting all of that. The ovaries themselves have no surface barrier, and therefore they're unprotected from their environment, and their environment is unprotected from them. There's a lot of implications to that, like ovarian cancers, a mean mother. The ovaries contain the egg cells upon which all human life depends. And all of this is here upon birth. Coochie owners are born with all the follicles they will ever have. Upwards of 200,000 per coochie. And these follicles remain dormant until early puberty. And then when they begin producing hormones, they've got this monthly release. And that's ovulation and all this other stuff. Each follicle, each ovary is a hormone factory. It produces sex hormones, very important to the female endocrine system overall. The ovaries are arguably one of the most precious organs of the reproductive tract. Because it contributes to the entire female shape, mood, libido, health, and so much more. Not to mention, eggs are the only way for a coochie owner to pass on their own genetic heritage. We're going to talk about sex. And by sex, I mean pleasure, fertilization, conception, reproduction, all those things. In a few short lessons from now. But let's zoom out and review what we've just covered. So essentially, you got a coochie passageway from the outside to the inside. You got a bunch of parts that makes up a coochie. From the outside, you've got in this vestibule, it goes to the, to, to the vaginal orifice. There's an opening, goes through the vagina, through the cervix, through the uterus, through the tubes, to the ovaries. And that's how fertilization happens. But you've got all these other organs, too. That's not about fertilization. That's about pleasure and sex and hormones and tampons. <laughs> fingers tongues well getting out of getting a little a little spicy here so we're gonna we gonna wrap it up for today you just completed the lesson at coochie university the coochie owner operating manual tools of the trade hack for the non-coochie owner because you didn't learn a lot of things just here in the meantime and in between time check out the website 
CoochieBusiness.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can receive updates and behind the scenes things. You can scroll and click through the links, send an anonymous or not question you have, topic you want to discuss, a story you want to share. Who knows? I just might read it on air. Also, you can send your questions and stories again directly to questions at coochiebusiness.com or stories at coochiebusiness.com. And last but not least, subscribe to the podcast. Your subscription helps the podcast grow by making it easier for new listeners to find the show. So subscribe on your podcast platform of choice today. Why stop there? Rate the show. Leave a comment with a review too. And I'll see you next week.